You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Let's look in our Bibles. We're going to go back to the book of Acts. God has had me uh, again yesterday trying to figure out where I wanted to be. Uh, for today, knowing probably with the ice and snow what it was going to be like, I, I veered away from what I was going to be doing so that I can get back to the most of our folks here on, on Sunday. So we're in Acts 24, Acts chapter 24, and we're going to drop down toward the end of the chapter there in verse 22. Uh, before we read there, maybe I could have you look back up here for just a minute. Um, has anybody here ever witnessed to somebody or tried to talk to them about the Lord? And they would say things to you like, I know I need to get saved, but just not right now. Something along those lines. Have you ever done that with anybody? I'm just really curious, truly. Yeah. Yep. I, my mom, I can't tell you how many times my mom would sit either in our house or in the backyard on the picnic table. I can still see her this very day, her trying to witness to uh, who was my cousin Norma, um, cousin-in-law kind of. Her husband Milton was my first cousin. And, and the two boys they had, Randy and Dwayne, Janet was their daughter, but uh, were my second cousins. And um, so, but I was more uh, closer in age to their children than them. But Norma and, and Milton just were those folks that lived out in the world, made their money and enjoyed the world and raised their kids that way. It was, um, it was heartbreaking, but we could get them to come to church every now and then. And over and over and over, my mom would sit and with tears in her eyes, tell Norma about the Lord and her need to get saved and that heaven was real and, and hell was just as real. And I can remember Norma sitting there, just she would, she would uh, squeeze her knees while she was being talked to. And you could tell she was nervous. And probably dozens of times, um, she would tell my mom, Rhea, I know that I need to get saved, just not right now. Our, our pastor, little Eddie Bates, that was preaching when, or had a friend in to preach when I got saved, the little short guy that you can hardly see, is, see him standing up behind the pulpit, but uh, he would get her, I remember him and a deacon of the church over at uh, um, Randy's house, we would go running through the house to get a glass of water or something, and and uh, here'd come Brother Eddie Bates was sitting there trying to witness to Norma. And oh, she was about to go bonkers because the preacher was in the house trying to win her to the Lord. And she kept saying, I know I need to get saved, but just not right now. What she was saying was, I have other things I'd rather be doing. I'm enjoying my life the way it is right now. And what it took uh, for her and Milton to get saved was Milton developed cancer in his back. I, I came in to the church service, I think it was a Sunday night years ago, back over in the old building. I don't know if you guys remember me holding a recording of my cousin Dwayne screaming on the phone, uh, saying, Philip, I can't believe it just happened. My, my dad, Milton, just got saved. He came to church today. He came down the aisle and trusted the Lord. Does anybody remember me playing that little couple? Three of you do. Good. Super. And then it wasn't long, <clears throat> Norma did the same thing. And she would come, they said she would come and sit in church. 
and she would sit there and she would just sweat. She knew she needed to get saved. She knew she was on her way to hell. She knew her husband was dying of this cancer, and she knew she had to meet God in a good way. And finally, that, that Sunday it happened. It was several weeks later, I played a second message over the microphone, and there was Norma. Philip, it happened again. I can't believe it. And he would slobber for a little bit, and then he would talk again, and just praising God that his mom and dad had gotten saved. What's so exciting about that is that they had another chance to get saved, and they got saved because by the millions, or at least by the thousands, people say, I'll do it later, but just not right now. Sue, apparently from your testimony, hey guys, we had a great service Wednesday night. I know it was really icy. Was that what was wrong Wednesday night? It was so icy. But we had a handful of people showed up, and we gave testimony time was so wonderful and I really enjoyed that and to hear your testimony apparently your sister had tried to win you to the Lord several times and you just didn't want to wasn't ready and then you thought the rapture happened because she went away and didn't come home for a long time and so you got saved later we don't always get that opportunity to have even a second chance much less dozens and dozens of opportunities that many people have had to come to know the Lord So tonight, you're going to see that. Here's another man in the Bible that God shows us. He just wasn't ready. He's just not right now. This isn't isn't a good time for me, but it's obvious the man was under conviction. And notice how, here's Paul. Paul's on his way toward this great trial of his life and, and some of his many stops. He is here now with Felix in verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, he'd been preaching to him, Um, having more perfect knowledge of that way. Uh, He deferred them and said, when um, Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know uh, the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister, minister or to come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And as he reasoned of those three things, uh, Felix, notice this, he trembled. I can still see Norma gripping her legs in in just total nervousness. So um, he trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. That is so much the way it is. When it's a better time for me, I'll call for you and then I'll do my business with God. So many people just like, you know, at the end of my life, right before I die, I'll call on the Lord. I'll get saved then for sure. Promise. Guys, you know, you don't always have that opportunity at the end of your life. You may be in a coma, maybe in a car accident. You don't have an opportunity, but that's really what he was saying. Um, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also, by the way, this is good to know about Felix. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, by Paul, that he might lose him. Uh, Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul 
bound. So let's stop and have a word of prayer there. God, thank you for the, the privilege and the honor to be before the God of heaven again tonight, to come and to worship you. It's not a sacrifice that we have made to come here, Lord. It's out of pure love and obedience to you. And we're asking, God, as we have taken a look once again at this passage of Scripture, that I have no doubt many thousands of times this passage has been preached for salvation and uh, caused men to maybe be saved that day and not to put it off any longer. And I pray tonight, yes, if there is somebody that is not saved tonight or those of us who are saved and have been putting things off in this Christian life, that tonight would be the night God's Holy Spirit would strongly convict them and draw them to you either in a saving way or in a serving way. And we'd thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's pretty blatant, wasn't it, guys? To reread that and understand the guy heard it to the point he was under conviction, trembling and shaking, and says, just just not right now. There's a better time down the road for me, and then I'm sure at some other time uh, I'll get saved. Let me read to you some things um, that I found when studying for this message. Alvin Verrett, well, I'm sure nobody here knows that name, but he is in New Roads, Louisiana. He owns and operates the nation's first drive-in mortuary. I'm sure you want to go visit this place. For the convenience of time-pressed mourners, the deceased is displayed before a 5 by 7 picture window. Friends and relatives can drive up to the window and pay last respects without getting out. Says Mr. Verrett, we wanted something for people who didn't have time to dress. Wow. Talk about convenience, trying to meet uh, people's conveniences. Now look in verse, go back up here with me if you will. Look to verse 23 with me for just a minute. Verse 23, and he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or to come to him. It kind of sounds very uh, benevolent of Phoenix, you know, let the people come and visit him, give him a lot of liberty, you know, is what he's trying to say. And, uh, and it very well could be that he was just being kind to Paul, uh, but it's possible, and it even shows up later on, that he had ulterior motives for allowing that. Uh, look in verse 24, and after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, Drusilla, she was a Jew. You heard that a couple of times already with me tonight. Uh, So she was a Jew, and Felix could have called for Paul simply for his wife's sake, so she could hear more about this new sect of Jewish teaching that Paul was advocating, and I'm sure she had some interest in that. Here's this Paul that is, you know, preaching that the Old Testament law is no longer necessary and that this new covenant, we talked about it this morning to some degree, um, you know, was the, the, the new and living way. And it could be that his wife is like, I'm interested in this guy. I'm, I'd like to know what he has to say about this Jesus and it's possible that, um, that he would bring him before her for that, for that reason, possibly. But um, now verse 25, look at it again. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, 
and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this, for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So, notice Paul preached a three-point outline to Felix, and if you can take notice of it here tonight, what was the three points in his message, so to speak, that he was giving to him? First of all, we find it was righteousness. Went from righteousness to temperance to judgment. And those were the three things that he preached to Felix about. Under righteousness, um, you only need to preach righteousness to somebody who is unrighteous or needs to know how to live in a more righteous way, obviously. I'm sure he was showing him how the law of the Jews only deepened their understanding of how unrighteous they were. I'm sure he probably, even for Drusilla, his wife's sake, would probably preach what real righteousness really was, that the law never could bring righteousness to your life and all of man's efforts would never earn somebody the kind of a right standing that it's going to take to stand before a holy and a just God, that common mankind just does not have what it takes in and of themselves uh, to be righteous enough to stand before God. I'm sure he preached that and I'm sure he was driving that point home. He could have told how Abraham believed in God, didn't work for God, but believed in God and how that was counted to him for righteousness. Or could have given him Romans 10 and verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And I'm sure he was bringing all kinds of thoughts out about righteousness and how uh, no doubt, Felix, you have a lack of righteousness in your life. That if, if you died today, you just, the way man is born into this world, David said, I was conceived in sin. The Bible says there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And, and, and he's trying to drive the point home to, uh, to this man. You're not righteous. And to get into heaven, you need the righteousness of a holy God. And there's no way that a common man can work that up. It just can't be done. In the, same, in the same vein of thought, guys, you are not adding to your salvation either by the way you're living and the way that you are trying to, to do good things for God. And, and, and I'll just say this, thank God for all the workers in our church tonight. Man, praise God for the nursery workers. You diaper changers, we praise God for you. We're thankful for those in junior churches and and. and uh, and in the Sunday school classes and all the people around here that do so many things uh, up to the prison ministries early on Sunday mornings, getting our buses and vans started on an icy morning. Man, thank God for all those dedicated people who do so many tremendous things. I am so thankful for that and it means so much. But let me just remind you guys, you are not adding one thing to your righteousness. Does everybody understand that? Anybody say an amen to that? Because if you think you're adding to your own righteousness, then what Jesus gave you was not adequate and you need to kind of finish it out a little bit. You kind of got the layaway plan. You know, I, uh, I add to it a little bit more and I serve him a little bit better and I, I get a little bit stronger in the Lord and I become more, you know, right in the eyes of God. That's not true. The only way you are right with God is because Jesus applied his righteous account to my broke account and now it's as full as heaven. Praise the Lord. I'm sure he was trying to preach those thoughts to Felix and try to get him to understand the truth about your need to be right with God and you don't have what it takes. It takes the blood of Christ. 
first point of his message. Number two, look at it again. Verse 25, he reasoned of righteousness. Number two, temperance. What is temperance? I mean, this wouldn't take much of an imagination to figure out why he would preach temperance or self-control or to have the control of the spirit in one's life. I mean, can you just imagine the number of things that are standing out in Felix's mind about his own unbridled life that he lived? Felix was a wicked man, guys. Please listen. He saw Paul as a means to line his pockets. That's what Felix was looking at Paul as. He took advantage of Paul's unfortunate circumstances to make a little bit of money for himself. That's what he was trying for anyway. That's very possibly why Felix allowed Paul to freely have visitors thinking they may very well, you know, maybe bring some money for Paul so that he could buy his way out of jail. It's possible. I think it's very likely that's what he was trying to do. So Felix brought Paul to him more and more, hoping to get Paul to eventually offer a monetary payment to let him out of, you know, that get out of jail free card. That seems to be Felix's pattern, always twisting things to see what kind of a gain he could personally get from it. Um, if you'd study Felix's life out just a little bit, and honestly, maybe for uh, the text's sake, maybe it'd do you good tonight to just go home, type up Felix, Acts 24, and look at see what kind of a man he really was. Um, he was married three different times. Two of his wives were named Drusilla, one was a Roman, the niece or the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. The other, uh, the person in the text here tonight, was a Jewess, daughter to Herod Agrippa the Great. When she was just six years old, she was pledged in marriage to somebody named Epiphanes, son of Antiochus, who had promised to embrace Judaism um, on her account, but he didn't keep his word. And then her brother Agrippa refused to ratify the marriage. So he married her to uh, Zesus, king of uh, Emesenes. I don't know these people, and hopefully uh, maybe you do. Felix, having seen her, fell desperately in love with her and by means of a pretended Jewish magician, persuaded her to leave her husband, on which Felix took her to wife. Now, if you read that to... Hollywood uh, movie stars or, or producers, they will take that and run with it and say that'll make a good series on television because that's about what it is. Uh, I mean, what a lifestyle this guy lived. He was a wicked man. So um, it's said that she and a son that she had by Felix were consumed in an eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And if you'll remember in his ascension to being governor, he had men murdered to make his own success more possible. He lied to make things work to his advantage. You're getting an idea what kind of man Felix really was. So in his marriages and his leadership as a governor of a Roman province and here with an apostle of God, Felix lived his life, again, trying to twist things and try to make things work to his advantage. He had to be one of the earliest people to use the phrase that we're common with today. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. So I'm going to take care of myself. And I'm going to do what it takes to make my life happy. You ever study the life of those who won the, won the lottery? Yeah, not so happy. He was a perfect example of a man who lived in the world and who, and who lived for the world and lived like the world. 
Hence, Paul preached temperance. You need to know what control really is all about. And you'll never have that without Christ. And then here was the big one. It's probably why I think Felix trembled as much as he did. Judgment to come. This one is no doubt what made Felix tremble. When he was brought face to face face, with the fact that he, a very sinful man, would have to face a holy God. I mean, that struck fear in his heart. And his once stable legs and hands began to tremble under the conviction that I'm that guilty man. I am the one that's not righteous. I am the one that doesn't have any ability to control my life whatsoever, a lack of temperance in my life. And I'm the one that when this judgment comes, no doubt, I'm the man that will be cast into a devil's hell forever and ever. And he began to tremble and it worked in his life. He trembled, but he did not repent. He shook, but he did not break. He was convicted, but he wouldn't come to Christ because he didn't have a repentant heart. And so Paul preached away to him and did everything he could possibly do to try to bring this man to Christ. But unfortunately, Felix resorted to his old ways and told Paul, you know what, I'll, I'll listen to you again some other time when it's more convenient for me. Right now is just not a real convenient time. And if you would have asked him why, uh, because uh, any reason to get away from you. I don't like the way I'm feeling. I don't like how guilty I'm being made to feel. I don't like a mirror being held up in front of me and somebody showing me what God sees in my life. So go away. And when I'm not feeling so bad about myself, maybe I'll hear you again. Uh, so let me, just, uh, let me just ask this tonight. We're here on a Sunday night. Everybody listening to me tonight? We're here on a Sunday, icy, snowy uh, Sunday night. And you would just assume that everybody knows Christ as their Savior tonight. But can I just ask it tonight, everybody looking up here, do you know that you are saved? And if you're not saved, you understand you are not righteous enough to get yourself into heaven. And if you died today, the judgment of God, you'd face a holy God. And you'd have to, to, to know without doubt that I am now faced with my future forever. Because I told God over and over again, when there's a more convenient time, I'll trust Christ to be my Savior. Well, what does it take to be convenient for you? You don't know. And the truth is, until you feel that conviction of God and a willingness to come before the Lord, friend, you stand guilty before a holy God. Near as I can tell, Felix tried to work things out for himself all the way into hell where he is probably tonight constantly remembering the golden opportunity that he had to get saved that one day before the Apostle Paul, but he didn't want to do it that night. And he said, when I've got a better time than what it is right now, you know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Why would you put it off another day? Why would you shove Christ out of your life one more time? And he has to think about that down through eternity, running through hell, screaming and crying with some of his friends and cohorts that he no doubt ran with on earth. He made his salvation a matter of convenience. Let's let's just get more serious about it. Everybody listen to this tonight. He made Jesus Christ a matter of convenience for his life. When it's more convenient for Jesus to get into my life, 
I'll let you know about it, okay? But right now, it's my life. I have my own reasons. And I don't need some preacher. He didn't say all this in the text. But I'm sure the thoughts in the back of his mind, I don't need some preacher telling me what I need to be doing right now. I'm, a, I'm like a king, and, and I'll, I'll choose my own time frame for things. And, and I have my own life, and I'll choose my own salvation and the time for it. I'll just say it again tonight before I get to my last point. If you're here tonight and you have never been saved and you keep saying another time when it's a better time for me, uh, you know, let's just say it like Felix did, when I have a more convenient time for me, and I'll just say to you tonight, you may never have that chance, ever. And you may run through hell with Felix running around with numbers of the the rich man that... uh, Lazarus uh, uh, dealt with outside of his gate and numbers and thousands of other people who are in hell tonight who said I'll look for a better time to get saved just not now and you shove Christ out of your life and said it's my time it's 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 my own way of thinking and I don't need the word of God shoved in my face but can I also say this tonight Even within Christianity, Christians will make Christ a matter of convenience. I mean, we've gotten saved, no doubt about it. You can give me your testimony, and I'm going to tell you again, guys. I wish everybody could have been here Wednesday night. It was so good. I was so blessed. Uh, And we've got to do that again, where we give people an opportunity to share their salvation testimony. And just to hear how God saved people was so good. Uh, And and without doubt, Christians, true Christians are saved and on their way to heaven. Conviction brought them to their knees and and no doubt we cried out to God and and we got saved. We were born again. Nine years old when I got saved. I'll never forget what God did for me that night. But please listen to what I want to say. I want to close out with this. You chose God. You either accepted him immediately or you shoved him out of your life until you finally received him you got saved and that's settled can we just say amen to that i'm saved i'm on my way to heaven praise the lord now when god calls to us those of us who are saved it's not a call for salvation now when god calls to us guys it's for surrender God doesn't need us to get saved, obviously. God wants us to surrender. God's looking for an area of service, a way that I can give my life back to God and surrender in a greater way. God will constantly and always, he will never let up preaching to us about righteousness and temperance and a judgment to come. He preaches it to those who are lost outside of salvation. He preaches it to those of us who are saved within our salvation that now, I mean, I I need to know that the righteousness of Christ is in me and I need to live a temperate life. The judgment of God is coming and I need to serve the Lord. God calls tonight. And if you'll allow him to bring conviction into your life, God will draw you into a deeper area of service and a deeper way of giving my life to God. Once we're saved, God's will now for our life is to grow in him and to become more like him. Philippians 2.13, some of you can quote it along with me if I, once I get started. 
For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What's he doing there? He's working in us conviction to draw us both to have the the will, the desire, and then moves in our lives to cause us to do his good will. And you're going to have that conviction, guys. You keep coming to church, you keep opening your Bible, and Christians do that, don't we? We read the Bible, we we listen to what God has to say to, to us in the Word of God. We get on our knees and talk to God, don't we? Of course. We're saved and we know the Lord. And you cannot help but know that God is working in your life and drawing you by conviction again. And the voice of God is saying, I have something for you. What are you doing with this calling? When he's trying to move us and to get us off dead center and to get us to understand there is a life of service for God. Everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You want to quote them along with me? Let's, let me hear you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But most of us stop there, including myself over the years. And we go on down to the very next verse says... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained it so that when I got saved and I'm now uh, on my way to heaven and I'm, I'm no longer pushing God out of my life, he has ordained it that I should be out serving the Lord. That's the will of God for my life now. God calls us to service, to surrender, to present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. But sadly, many Christians might as well give God the same answer that Felix did. Are you listening to me tonight? Many Christians say the same thing Felix did. And I know his was, you know, toward salvation, but it's for us, it's toward our service to God. When I have a more convenient time, God, I'll surrender to that. When I have a more convenient time, I'll get involved in that area of service. I'll get involved in this area in church. I've heard that there are ministries needing help. And when it's more convenient for me, I'll get involved. God help us to understand that was a deadly comment for Felix. And it's not deadly for us tonight, but it, it hinders the work of God so much When Christians have been brought under conviction from God and God has been drawing them and trying to lead them to full surrender to God and we just kind of, you know, in our heart, you don't ever see anybody's hand like this in church. But in your heart, you shove a hand up and say, not right now. I have my limits. I know what my time frames are and let me live my life the way I want to live my life. When I have a more convenient season... Look how Christianity has followed the world. You know, I'll I'll come to church if it doesn't interrupt my schedule. Um, Years ago, somebody had had done a survey and they had put it into what was called a glamour magazine. 25,000 readers, most of them women between the ages of 18 and 35. Listen to this. Um, This is their spiritual side. Um, Let's see. Most of these women between the ages of 18 and 35 reflects a powerful swing to a spiritual side. 77% now say that they pray. And 87% feel that God is always helping them or has helped them through a particular period in their lives. These readers seem to choose aspects of their religion. Please hear what I'm saying. They seem to choose aspects of their religion that they can live with. And then ignore what they can't. 
without discarding their faith, what he just said was this. Those same people, 77% of those people and 87% that always feels like God is helping me, uh, basically also say that they have limits in their, in their Christianity. And, and I come up to a certain point and I stop right here, but I still believe that I'm saved and I still want to serve God, but I just stop right here. This is what they're kind of saying. For example, the poll finds that nearly half disagree with their church's teaching on premarital sex. And a third, 42% of the single women, disagree with what their religion or church says about abortion. I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm a strong Christian, but I, you know, I have my limits. That's what they're saying. I really, really do believe that I I, I have the faith, but I, I reserve the right for me to determine how far I go within my salvation. What a shame. Guys, aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that on the way to Calvary? I'll determine just how far I'll go toward, you know, Golgotha. I'll determine if I'm going to go all the way. Am I going to let him drive a crown of thorns in my head or am I going to stop short of that? Do I really have to go as far as I really, really have to go? I'm so glad he went all the way and laid his entire life down for us and gave himself wholly so that I could come to know Christ as Savior. And here we'll sit in the house of God. And we'll know that God's convicting us about something and the word of God has brought conviction to our heart. And we know the word of God. We know what it says and we know the need that is out there. And we still say when it's more convenient for me, I'll get involved. You know, I'll read my Bible if I have time. I'll begin to witness when I feel ready. I'll begin to or, or, or start tithing again when, I, you know, when we can afford it. Convenience. I'll make things right with my spouse, my friend, fellow church members when that feels right. Let's just be honest. When it's convenient for me, that's when I'll get involved and give my entire life over to the Lord. I'll serve God when it's not such an interruption to my schedule. Part of our problem is the world is catered to us so much with our fast foods and convenience stores that we've transferred convenience right into Christianity. Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, please hear this, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the greatest and the highest glory of anything in my life ought to go to him. God help us to make Christ our highest priority and not fall into the trap of a lost Felix and just say, you know, I want God to be a matter of convenience for me. I'll serve him if and when I want to. I draw my lines. I don't have some supreme being up there trying to dictate my life down here like I'm some kind of a pawn. Guys, how did you get to that place where you feel like that to a God that gave his life for us? We're not pawns in his hand. We're his loving children. And he gives his life for us over and over again so we can have so much, so many blessings and so many different ways that we can know that the Lord is with me in my life. What, what, what it says to my heart and the conviction that so came to me was that we need to walk worthy of Christ and that great sacrifice that he made for us.
If, if you would look at your life tonight, and if we feel like we would stand before the Lord tonight and God looked into our heart, and God was examining us and showing us what our heart looks like before him tonight, can you honestly say, and I know it, so many of our messages seem to go to this direction, but I believe it's the heart of the Bible. Can you honestly say that I feel like my heart is fully surrendered? That I, I'm not holding back on God? I, I'm not saying when it fits me at a better time. I'm not saying, God, it's just not good timing for me right now in my life to start doing this and giving and surrendering. It's not good timing for me because after all, this life's about me. And when, it's, uh, when I can fit you into these other parts of my life, God, I'll let you know. God, help us never get to that place. And if we get to that place, may we be willing to surrender that back to a loving, holy God who gave his life for us. And not make God a matter of convenience, but a matter of preeminence in our hearts. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.